When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I really feel it's my time, think it's my year, yeah, yeah. I really feel it's my time, think it's my year, yeah, yeah. I really feel it's my time, think it's my year, yeah, yeah. I really feel it's my time, think it's my, yeah. What's up, everybody? I want to welcome you to our season finale of A Couple Believe. Today we have somebody special. I got to do this, I have to read this because this man right here is special and has accomplished so much. So let me give him his due diligence and say, this man right here is the head creative for WWE, 14-time world champion, the cerebral assassin, the king of kings, widely regarded as one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time, and truly one of the most genuine individuals my team and I have had the pleasure to connect with and call a friend. The game, Paul Levesque, a.k.a. Triple H, welcome to A Couple Believe. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Thank you for the intro. And uh, we should just end it there because it's not going to get better. Than that. That's no, an awesome intro. Absolutely. <laughs> no, well warranted. Well warranted. And uh-huh. I want to dive right into, you know, I go back to my childhood in April of ni- 1997. You guys are about to take over WCW with, you know, Degeneration. Next, you come out, the crowd is roaring, you know, just that type of mindset now going into now being on the creative side. Can you tell me what it's like to be the difference between being uh, obviously a wrestler coming out and seeing a crowd pop, but now on the business side of it and still getting that same roar? Well, you know, it's, it's still, um, it's still in some manner what we do is for our fans, right? Everything that we do is for them and our business, unlike a lot of sporting businesses in which, you know, everything at the end of the day is entertainment, even especially now, even news is entertainment, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's all about getting viewers and viewership. And mm-hmm. for us, it's always been about entertainment. And, and, you know, Vince McMahon, the founder would always say, um, you know, we were the first interactive sort of television program, right? So even if you go back to the, the, the fifties and, and the, the start of television sort of, we were the first thing that sort of wanted you to boo and cheer and, you know, have signs and and dislike the bad guy and love the good guy and, and do all those things. So we were the first interactive and that carries through to today. It's it's really about the reaction of fans. So mm-hmm. for me, it, it doesn't really matter. I get just as much rush now out of being behind the curtain and mm-hmm. seeing somebody else have that moment where they go out there and, you know, execute on all the stuff that's been talked about and, and see their dream and their goal and their vision coming to be reality. I get just as much out of that roar of the crowd for them as I do, or as I did when it was my time in, in that ring or my walk down that ramp at WrestleMania or whatever that is, you know, it's, um, a lot of uh, there's a lot of joking or or people saying on the internet that you know oh they're like your kids right mm-hmm. some Triple H's kids or whatever um, they say that for various people in the business and and for me it sort of is and and but it's the accomplishment it's it, what what means more to you in life 
the, the things that you accomplished or the things that you then can go watch your kids. If you have kids to, to watch them go and accomplishment that, that, that um, pride that you feel for them and knowing what they're going through and accomplishing um, it's a different feeling, but it's just as rewarding on every level. So to me, um, I'm the great thing about what I do now for WWE is in creating the content is that when it's good and when their talent are firing on all cylinders and so are we and everything is working well, um, that feeling is the same. That roar of the crowd, that rush, that 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 excitement is the same. I'm glad you actually brought that up because I always wonder, yes, you come up with the storyline and the creative side of it. And when you were actually active as a wrestler and when you go back backstage, what is that like after the show is over now when you have to reevaluate and obviously evolve the storyline as a creator, but as a wrestler also saying, okay, I kind of agreed with this or no, I disagreed with that. And this is what we could do. What is that interaction between the creative side and the wrestler? So there's always a collaboration there, right? You mm. you want it to be because the the creative has to work for the talent, mm-hmm. and then the talent have to be into the creative. And so, sometimes they don't mesh, and there's sometimes where you you know uh, you have to trust the talent, mm-hmm. and and maybe the creative is not perfect or everything that it could be, but the talent knock it out of the park so big in their execution of that creative that it makes it way better than you ever could have imagined it being. And and sometimes vice versa, right? Like sometimes, um, you know, there's a creative idea in somebody's head and then you go execute maybe what they didn't see from the creative side and it's way better than they imagined it. Like, oh, you know, so you come back and have those conversations. Oh man, that worked out so much better than I expected it to. Or, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's it's a it's a balancing act, you know, and and the creative and the talent work together, and you sort of um, find that right balance of the two in between, and just make a decision, and then everybody runs in that direction and tries to execute it in the best way possible, um, and you know it's that's the fun of it in a way is that that collaborative spirit. I can always imagine that because I don't have any musical talent <laughs> whatsoever <laughs> but i but i can imagine it would be like you know a bad band putting together a song right like maybe everybody has their different approach to how they feel well i don't think we should go in that direction yeah but we do and you know you end up going in a direction and half the band's into it and the other half's like yeah we'll try it and we'll see what happens and they end up with a massive hit or they end up with something that they're really proud of um you know, at the end of the day, that's really what it's about. It's that collaboration and and that having that open mind and open um, sort of collaborative process to all of it, I think is what makes it great. I always think to myself that I'd rather have all the minds involved than a couple of the minds involved because what you're going to get out of all the minds is so much better. And what was that reaction like when you made that decision to say, okay, I'm not going to be an active wrestler. I'm going to go into the more business side to be on the creative telling. What was that like in the, that reaction in the locker room when you were first, you know, telling some of the guys and the women just that this is what I'm going yeah. to do now? It was a slow process for me, so I don't think it was a surprise for anybody when it mm-hmm. when I finally did do it. But I think, you know, over the years, even when I was an active talent as far back as, you know, the late 90s, mm-hmm. um, I was I, I had always been fascinated with the sort of creative process of what we did, not just the going and executing. Like there are a lot of talent and it's everybody has a different take on it, right? But there are a lot of talent mm-hmm. that they don't want to think about the idea. They just want you 
where are we going with this? And then they'll take that and make that their own and make it really good, you know. Um, other other talent uh, feel differently. For me, I always enjoyed, so to speak, the, the, the crafting of the thoughts and the ideas of where the direction of the storylines were going. I enjoyed the behind the scenes of it. I enjoyed putting it all together and seeing it all come together as a group. So I was sitting in on production meetings um, because I had been asked to by Vince, you know, mm-hmm. probably 90, 98, somewhere in that wow. ballpark. Um, so, and then I was heavily involved even as a talent, you know, um, th- through that behind the scenes process. So it, it was kind of no surprise that by the time I decided to transition almost, almost fully into not being a talent anymore and just being on the creative side that people were, you know, I was so kind of enveloped and and dedicated to that side of it anyways that it wasn't really i don't think a big surprise to anybody more for me it was just it was harder for me you know i was still at the tvs all the tvs but as i came off the road as an active talent and i stopped traveling as much um Mm. when you spend you know 20 whatever plus years of your life almost in this sort of nomad lifestyle of you're (laughs) traveling five six days a week sometimes every day of the week um, and being gone on the road, that being sort of sitting in one place was almost mm-hmm. like, um, uh, felt like a, a tiger in a cage. You know, I just wanted to get out and run and run mm-hmm. around and, and do all the other stuff. So that was the bigger transition for me, not the, not the in-ring performance part. Um, as we get, you know, just into traveling, you know, we're coming up on now, we're just coming off of w, obviously WrestleMania 39, going into yes. WrestleMania 40 in Philly next year. What goes into the process of finding locations and where you want to have these special events? Obviously, WrestleMania 40 is a huge moment for for just the history of the WWE, but picking the city of Philadelphia and making it in that place compared to anywhere else and then just on the road, like you said, on five days a week, how do you come up with all these locations and where you want to host these events and these special moments? Yeah, so there's a massive team of people that do it, right? There's mm-hmm. a There's a large team, a live events team that picks locations, but when it comes to WrestleMania or some of our bigger premium live events like SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, those type mm-hmm. of events, um, there's a bidding process, much much like um, the Super Bowl has, where cities come to us. You know, the, the cities are looking for big global events that can mm-hmm. draw attention to their cities, that can bring in people from all over and have a, a massive economic impact on their city. And mm-hmm. when you bring an event in, um, like WrestleMania or Rumble or SummerSlam that does hundreds of millions of dollars of economic impact into a city. Um, they're very aggressive in, in how they approach us. So, you know, they're, they're putting out their best foot. They're putting out their best offer um, to try to, to try to woo us to come into the, into the town, into the city to um, have a global event like that and have people from all over the world, let alone the country come in and, and, um, and enjoy. And, and WrestleMania is now like a week long thing. So people mm-hmm. start coming in, you know, early in the week and, and are there all week to enjoy events. Um, so it's massive for the, for the, you know, the local economy there. And, um, that's part of the process. And for us, then it's trying to balance that all out. You know, if you go in with a WrestleMania, you don't want to be back there within a certain period of time. Cause you got to let, 
Yeah. You know, you got to let the market rest, but you don't want to let it rest too long because you want to capitalize on the good feel of what you just did there. So, you know, there's a blend to all of it, and and um, it's it's really a science. And the team that does it at WWE, I feel like, is the one of the best in the world. So they're they're really good at what they do. And as you said, it's like a week long event. I mean, you guys are out out and about in the community, going to different charity events. You know, going up to children's hospitals. You know, how cool is that to just see the reaction of, you know, some of these kids that are going through just some tough times in their lives. But to see you guys, they're superheroes. You know, they look up to you yeah. so much. To, just their reactions when you guys get to go and visit them in places of these cities from all over the country. I honestly think for most of our talent, that's the best part of what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and look, not to sound, um, you know, you can put sort of a, a – value on it like stuff and and you know mm. the the platform to be able to do those things i think at the end of the day you know like mm-hmm. people make a lot of money doing what we do they can get a lot of fame doing what we do they can have a lot of opportunities it's very fulfilling from a creative side but there's nothing nothing like uh seeing the look on a child's face or you know if, if you're fortunate enough to be in a position where like would make a wish you know, for a sick child that, that you're their wish, their mm-hmm. one wish, they can have anything they want. What's their one wish is to meet you. Mm-hmm. That's a very humbling, life-altering experience for you. Um, and, and our talent really embrace it. None of our talent are contractually obligated to do any of that. Mm-hmm. They do it because they love it. Um, you know, John Cena's, I, I don't even know how many wishes he's made, you know, in the, in, I think 600 or something. And his, his, um, his dedication to that and his passion for it is just, it's amazing. He, he, you know, and, and the amount of kids that he has met and changed their lives or just put a smile on their face when they had no other reason to have one um, in a period of their life is, is it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and one of the reasons I have so much respect for John is, is that, you know, it's, it's all the things he's done in his career, but of all those other things, when he doesn't need to, mm-hmm. right, there's, there's nothing that forces him to. We, we just did WrestleMania. John was just at WrestleMania, as you know, mm-hmm. um, competing. And he's at a point in his time in his career where, you know, he, he's, he's um, sort of, you know, WWE's a young man's business. He's a little bit aged out, right? And he's looking at the next thing in his career, and he's super busy movie-wise, and his career is on a massive upswing, right? Like... Mm-hmm. Um, but yet he still wants to come back. I mean, literally when I say he came back for WrestleMania cause he had like two days off and he flew in, did the show, flew out, you know, and went right back to his movie set. And part of his desire to do that was he, he wanted to do an entrance with a bunch of Make-A-Wish kids and have all the Make-A-Wish kids on the stage with him and have that be their moment. And, you know, it's it's a it's just a part of who he is. He's an incredible human being, and and that's part of my respect for him is, um, just just his passion for that. You know, it's truly amazing to see, and obviously, some great news coming out of the WWE. The now being bought by Endeavor Group, obviously, the WWE has exciting future ahead of it. Can you talk about some of the things that you may be excited for with this recent purchase? Obviously, now just taking it to that next level, having the backing of the Endeavor Group, and just seeing yeah. where the WWE can grow. Yeah, so obviously Endeavor is is a massive, you know, massive operation that has um, offices and um, the ability to do business all over the globe. And when you think of WWE, there is almost in some manner no more global business Mm -hmm. than what we are. Um, 
the, the ability to grow and to do the things that I think Endeavor will bring to the table for WWE would take years. You know, I, I think Vince said in an interview uh, for him, he's like, look, if we did, if we try to do this on our own, it takes us at least 10 years. Endeavor can get us there right away, right? And it's it's that ability to grow and expand beyond where we are um, from a business standpoint that they bring to the table that I think you've seen it with UFC and and the success that they've had since since um, uh, being under the Endeavor umbrella. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a very exciting time for us um, to be able to expand the WWE brand. And really, because we are seen all over the globe mm-hmm. um, and uh, have fans, I mean, everywhere. I've been fortunate enough in my career to, to travel pretty much everywhere. And I've, I don't know that I've ever been anywhere where people didn't know who we were, you know, when we got there and weren't crazy over it. It's, it's almost in some of those places that you wouldn't expect it to be big in. Um, it's bigger than anywhere, you know, India, um, Mm -hmm. we're like the second biggest sport in India outside of cricket, you know, and that's, um, cricket's like a religion. (laughs) So it's, it's massive and, and you feel it when you're there and, but but the the struggle has always been real of how do you get into that market deeper? How do you um, you know um, serve that market in a way that is difficult when you're in the U.S. and you are running shows or your show is is airing there and it's massively popular, but getting there is mm-hmm. it's it's challenging, right? It's it's a long way away, mm-hmm. and the business opportunities that we have there now. Um, with Endeavor, I think, are, are, are going to be huge. Well, I'm excited to see. I know the WWE is going to continue to grow, and you know, congratulations to you guys, obviously, with that. But I want to you know, transition into now the the family side of Paul, you know, being yeah. able to do this massive, running this massive business, being on the road all the time. What is that like, you know, being as a parent, being a, just your family in general? How do you keep the balance between the business and the family at the same time? Yeah, I, a lot, I get asked a lot, um, how do you balance, what's that work-life balance and how do you balance it? And I, I often say to people, work-life balance is a lie. There is no such, there is no balance. You know, the, the difficulty is, I think, is trying to be in the moment of where you're at. So, and, and it's a challenge. It's not easy. Um, you know, but when you're, when you're home, when I'm home, when I'm with my wife, when I'm with my kids, when I'm with my family, I try to be with them. Um, and, you know, there's moments in time or things that you're doing where you're going to be with your family and, you know, put the phone down, put the put work down. It'll be there when you come back to it and be with your family. And then there are other times when hey, I have to work and I'm going to shut myself off from that for a bit, unless there's an emergency or you're always family and everybody else always comes first. But there's 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 those moments where, Hey, okay. So now I'm going to do business for whatever that is an hour or two hours. And I'm going to just focus on that and try not to, you know, uh, be engaged in the other thing. So it's, it's sort of locking yourself into where you are, you know, and, and I think it's important, you know, a lot of people know a, a couple of years ago now I had a, a, a cardiac incident that was, you know, could, could, could have been, you know, and, and, and was very close to, uh, game over, no pun intended, right? And I think it makes you look at life differently. And I think that um, somebody said it to me recently. It makes you realize that this isn't a dress rehearsal. You get you get this once, like you get life once. And um, 
you know, you, you have to make the most of it to what is the most of it for you. For some people that is work and they're going to do it. They're going to dedicate themselves to that till, to, to the day they're not here anymore. Other people, it's family. It, it's what works for you and what is important to you. I run under the, the, the sort of thought in my head is no one, very few people pass away and think to themselves, oh man, if only I could have hung on for a few more days, I had a board meeting on Friday, you know, like, right. It's, it's, it's thoughts of your family. It's thoughts of loved ones. It's, it's thoughts of things like that. So prioritize the things that are most important to you in your life and do, you know, work as hard as you can on the other things that are fulfilling to you. If something's not fulfilling, if something's not, you know, uh, fun. People ask me about the grind of WWE and it can be a grind and nothing is ever easy. Um, but if I wasn't having fun doing it, I would stop doing it. You know, at this point in my life, um, you know, I realize that you have a limited amount of time and none of us know tomorrow could be it. Today could be it, you know? Um, so you, you want to spend your time wisely you want to make sure that you're doing enjoying the things that you're doing in life um so I, I just approach it all that way and if if i'm enjoying what i'm doing whether it's, it's hard work is a lot of fun if it's for the right reasons you know and and so uh i enjoy working hard i enjoy the process i enjoy what i do if if there's a day that i stop enjoying it then i need to i need to step away and go find out what else i enjoy or if that's hanging out with my family, then you just go hang out with them. What, what, whatever brings me the most happiness is where I should be. And I want to go a little bit deeper into that, your, your heart incident that you had with, you know, your cardiac sure. and things like that. Because I remember October 16th, obviously, 2010 changed my life forever. But it, those next few months after that gave me that newfound appreciation on life and my family and the things that really mattered to me. And just overcoming, you know, this spinal cord injury and everything I was going to have to go through. What were some of those moments when you were, you know, laying around and the thoughts that were going through your head and how you were going to bounce back from this mentally? Yeah, it's it's, it's tough. And, and, you know, I can only imagine for you, like, right, like mm -hmm. everything changed for you in a moment, right? You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're who you are as a human being, who, what your, your mental image of yourself, your, um, your impression of who you are as a human being changed. Yes. Um, for, for me, similar. I don't think nearly as dramatic as you or nearly as um, altering as you, right? Clearly. But in, in some manner, who you are as, um, as a human being, as this, as a person changes and how everybody else sees you changes to them and how you're, you handle that. It's tough. It's, it's, um, it really is one of those things that I don't think you can understand until you go through it, that, that there's this mental process. Um, I'm sure somebody would explain there are stages to that. And, you know, as if you worked with a therapist or something, there's stages to it and there's all these things and, and you experience them. There's, there's the denial part, you know, as, as I was in the hospital and they were telling me where my, injection fracture was with my heart and I was in heart failure, you know, uh, you know, in my mind, I was like, whatever, yeah, was, you know, <laughs> can, we, can we speed up this process? <laughs> I got stuff to do, right? You just denial of it. And then even when you come out of it and they're telling you, here's where you're at. And 
you know, you're not fully accepting of it. And, you know, I have a defibrillator in my chest now permanently. Right. And, um, even that was like a, just a weird, like it's still days now, a couple of years later where I look and I'm like, well, it's the weirdest thing just sitting on my chest, in my chest. Like it, it's not who I see myself as still, right. In some manner, you're still dealing with it and still trying to process it. And, um, it's a long haul, but you know, you don't know what the cards are going to be put in front of you. And all you have is the hand that you dealt. So you, you deal with it and, and, um, you move forward, but it's definitely a, a difficult process that you have to sort of reevaluate who you are and where you thought you were going. And, um, you know, you have choices that you can make. Like, I mean, look, uh, make no secret that I, I admire your, you're a remarkable person and how your mental state of mind is still so positive there's, there's ways you can go with that. Right. And, and one would be horrible, like, and, and, and just the worst case scenario. And then the other is, this is what I have to deal with. So what are you going to do? You're going to pick yourself up and you're going to move forward. And this is the, this is your new reality and you're going to accept that new reality and you're going to make the best of it. And you do what you do, which is turn yourself into an unbelievable success in the face of all that adversity. And, and, um, I don't know that a lot of people can do it. So the people that can, you know, it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And, and you're, you're certainly one of them. It's from the first time I met you, it's one of the things that I was like, man, this, there's a guy that just has so much that was dumped on him. And yet when you speak to him, it's like, it's like it's just a regular upbeat, positive. I know so many, people in the world that are way more miserable than you that have nothing to be miserable about. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That means a lot to me, so I do appreciate those kind words. And on the topic of injuries, because as a fan growing up, I always actually started thinking of this. We see, you know, you wrestlers out there, you guys put your bodies through so much. Obviously, Mick Foley getting thrown off the top of cages, through thumbtacks. Like, we all cheer and everything, but at the end of the show, we go to sleep. You guys are yeah. dealing with the injuries of backstage and what's yeah. happening there. What is that like after like a match, you know, where you got blood everywhere? Like you just went through hell, but now you got to go you go backstage and have to, when that adrenaline goes away, try to find a way to recover that, from that. That's that you, the, the key word you said there is adrenaline, which is a magical thing, right? And, <laughs> and that is the tough part, you know? Um, I, yeah, I've had my fair share of injuries, right? Like uh, torn both quads and, Torn my pec and tore my bicep and, you know, just a lot of big injuries. Um, I don't know. I think my mindset has always sort of been like there's an acceptance process of that as well. It's you're dealing with the the sort of the, the misery and the, you know, it's not what you wanted. You know, there, clearly there were big plans in front of you or whatever. And in this moment in time, now you're injured. and But, okay, that's the new reality. So to me... I, I always hated the, the period of time when an injury happened, if it was something that I had to have fixed, I hated the period of time between the injury and getting it fixed because I felt like that was wasted time. If I could get it fixed the next morning, like whatever it is, tear my quad, great. What's the quickest I can have the surgery done? Because at that moment, it gets 10 times worse once you have the surgery. But at least in that moment, you're starting the tick upwards. and you're And everything that you do now is about the return. And there's a target in front of you. 
when you don't have that target, it's tough. You know, it's, it's tough. You can't have that goal. I'm a very goal oriented person and having that goal in front of you, um, I think makes it, um, makes it doable, you know, but, but to your, to your point, I think the hardest thing for a lot of the guys is, and I think you see it in football. I think you see it in other, um, physical sports, basketball, where, you know, whether, whether the, 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 the running, the wear and tear of the running and stuff, you have to, you have to adapt who you are. You have to continue to train. Your life as an athlete doesn't end when the game stops. Your life as an athlete sort of evolves and to stay healthy, like knock on wood for me, I, I don't have, um, for all the injuries I've had, I'm pretty mobile. I'm pretty good. My, like, to be honest with you, my knees don't hurt my, you know, wow. I, I have general aches and pains, but I know a lot of people that do nothing. <laughs> that are younger than me that don't do anything physical and that are in way worse shape than I am. Um, you know, taking care of yourself, doing the things that you need to do, staying in shape, eating right, uh, training. That, that's all. Like I say now, like I, I don't, I'm not training for anything I'm training for life to be healthy, to be able to move to, you know, and when I see guys that are in the business around me that have, that were in the same time frame generation as me, same age, sometimes I see guys that are in great shape and moving extremely well. And sometimes I see guys that are a mess. I mean, a mess. And I see them move and I see them walk and I see the pain there. And I think like, geez, like I, I feel bad for them. But like it's you have to do the things you have to do. You have to be in the gym. You have to stay mobile. You have to stay in shape. You have to train. Um and and if you don't, it catches up to you, and that's the price you pay for all those years that you enjoyed in the limelight and all that stuff. If you continue to train um, and do all the other things that you need to do, and can, now now it's training for life. It's training yeah. for quality of life. You know, for me. Yeah. Well, shout out to our mutual friend Joe DeFranco as well for getting Joe's you, a man. you said, getting you ready and getting you right for life because. Tell you what, to get you shredded up there. I'll tell you that, Trips. And- yeah, you know, and, and for me, it was one of those things where there was a certain point in time in my career when I very first started training with Joe, which was, you see, my daughter's 12. I started training with him right around the time she was born. And, um, you know, I realized I was starting to get in a place in my career where I had had injuries were were really mounting up. And it was starting to get difficult. Like, you know, I was starting to have thoughts in my head of like, man, going upstairs to go to bed at night to, to get to the bedroom is like, my knees are killing me. Like at some point, man, we're going to have to think about maybe <laughs> moving to a house with a bedroom <laughs> on the ground floor. So I don't, you know, and it, it, but it started thinking like, this is ridiculous. Like I shouldn't be, that, that shouldn't be my like, well, well, I'm just banged up and that's the way it is. And I knew I knew I needed to change and train more for function than aesthetic or look or whatever. You know, I was just a meathead bodybuilder, right? And um, Joe was the guy that I contacted, and I've been with him ever since. And to your point, Joe sort of trains you for mobility and for life. You still look great. You still can be in the shape you want to be in, but it's, it's a different level of fitness. And because of Joe and what Joe does – you know, I, I I don't have knee pain when I go up the stairs. My hips don't bother me when I'm go up up and down the stairs. You know, like I'm I'm considering the career that I've had and the injuries that I've had. I don't 
I don't suffer from any of that stuff, and it's because of the type of training I do with him. Oh, that's fantastic. And we're in a different generation now when it comes to NIL. We have we've seen a lot of businesses adapt to it. We've seen college athletes adapt into it and, and go in different professional ways with their life and the way they're handling business. But we've seen the WWE also get involved in the NIL side, but also starting to starting to scout and look at different wrestlers and giving them opportunities at a younger age now coming up. So can you tell me what that process has been like and now researching on the NIL side and looking into talent and future talent, what that could look like? Can you just dive into that a little bit for us? Sure. NIL was a game changer for us. So and for those that don't know it, NIL, name, image, likeness for collegiate athletes, where before the NIL program, um, the, the rules in the NCAA were so strict. It was very difficult for us to talk to anybody from any couldn't sport. Even, if they were take still you in, a piece of gum from somebody. It was ridiculous. No. I mean, I mean, we would have, uh, you know, um, talent, whether we were interested or not, just that we knew that we're fans and we couldn't give them a ticket. You know, if you gave them a ticket to the show, we'd get a notice from NCAA asking if you gave them this as a gift and what, what you know, and you're, they're, they're risking their eligibility as an athlete, right? So we were so cautious of it. It kept us out of the collegiate world. And really where you were at was um, almost having to f- have athletes that wanted to get into the business, get trained and try to find their way to you. NIL changed the game for us and it allowed us to um, engage with these athletes at, at all levels across every single sport. And and for WWE, every sport almost is applicable, right? Like you don't have to be a, an amateur wrestler or a collegiate wrestler. You don't have to be a collegiate football player. Um, you know, we, we, I, we've hired now um, or recruited and are training with athletes from, I mean, uh, competitive gymnastics, cheer, um, track and field is big for us, especially with, with females, but track and field for us is big with, with guys in the, in the more power movements. So hammer throwers, disc throwers, um, you know, across almost every sport we've recruited from now collegiately. And what NIL allows us to do is engage with these kids some of them that have, you know, bigger followings and that are really interested in what we do, we might put under contract with us where they're sort of out there promoting on all these campuses they go to. And when they're playing their sport and they're doing their thing, they're sort of out there spreading the word that WWE is hiring for these college kids. And when you think of the amount of college athletes that there are in the U.S. and you begin to look at the amount that end up playing a professional sport, and against the amount that would love to play a professional sport, right? So, you know, for, for women, there aren't a lot of professional options, not lucrative ones, especially. For men, there's some, but not not across everything. So, you know, I say all the time, if you're a hammer thrower, you're one of the best hammer throwers in the world, elite athlete, big, huge personality, because those t- guys tend to be a little crazy, right? And, uh, <laughs> you know, what are your options, your your college is paid for because of your collegiate career. Um, you're you're hopefully you're set up. You got a good job or whatever. But if you're thinking in your mind, man, I'd love to be an athlete still, and I'm yeah, I'm twenty one, twenty two years old. Um, coming into WWE and finding out like yeah, this is this is every bit of that. This is every bit of the professional organization of the the experience that I would get in a professional league or whatever. Um, it's different. And sometimes for them, a lot of them are fans. 
sometimes they come in and they're not necessarily fans. They know what it is. They watched it a little bit, but they come in and all of a sudden they realize when you're doing it, like, wow, this is a blast. And, and they get the bug and now they love it. And it's been a game changer for us. And, you know, we, we offer NIL contracts. We see those more as long-term recruiting opportunities than, you know, paying somebody X amount of dollars to say they like your chicken or something like that. Right? <laughs> we're we're, we're long-term create, um, you know, uh, recruiting through there, but the, but also the branding of it. So as we, as, as I said, as all these kids go to these other uh, campuses to compete, People are talking about him and going, oh, my God, you know, this guy, he's with WWE, he signed a deal, NIL deal with WWE, and they go talk to him and go, hey, I, I love WWE. How can I get involved in that? And they call this guy, and right? So it becomes um, it becomes a breeding ground for us for next-level talent that has been game-changing. And when I say game-changing, when I go to the PC in Orlando and I see the talent that are training there now over the last, I don't know what it's been, year and a half, two years, two years, I guess, of, of NIL um, activity and recruiting through college campuses, it, it's the the level of athlete there, the level of professionalism, the level of intelligent, high-level athletic performance that's going on in that place is just inspiring to say the least. You know, it's it's amazing. And so that's it's been a massive thing for us. And and I think also for college kids just a, just an, another opportunity for them to engage across across athletics that they didn't have before and it opens up another door for them but it doesn't even stop there that's the crazy cuz you guys have superstars from all over the world fans that want to be involved is people like Logan Paul Bad yeah. Bunny who's the reason why I learned how to speak Spanish a little bit cuz of yeah. Bad Bunny and all the work that he puts in you needed what, to be able to sing the songs right you see? had to learn to speak Spanish yeah, I, exactly I can sing his songs as well so like when you see people like that Snoop Dogg doing a people's elbow in the middle of the ring at Wrestlemania like what is that like approaching these superstars who are already successful in their careers but wanting to be a part of the WWE community and getting in that ring yeah, it's a blast. And, and what's amazing is the level of respect that they have for what we do. You know, so when you talk about Bad Bunny, here's a guy that's, you know, arguably, I don't even know if it's arguably, he's like the biggest music star in the world right now, right? I mean, just, it's it's incredible how big he is. And, um, you know, he did something with us, I don't know what it was, a couple of years ago at WrestleMania, and... um you know, when we first talked about doing it and he was like, he so much wanted to do it and he was so dedicated, he would be dedicated and all this stuff. He, he got a place in Orlando, stayed in Orlando, was at the Performance Center like every day getting the crap kicked out of him. And, I'm, you know, I would get there. At that time, I was at the Performance Center a lot. And, uh, you know, I would be there and they'd say, you know, I'd walk in the door and they'd say, Bunny's in the other room training if you want to say hello. And I would think, man, this guy, he just killing himself, you know, <laughs> he doesn't need to do this biggest pop star in the world, right? Like he certainly doesn't need to do this, but just he, he, he didn't out of respect for what he grew up loving and, and the talent, he wasn't gonna just kind of go out there and do it. He wanted to be great at it. Um, you know, you see Logan Paul come in who same thing. Like when I first heard Logan Paul, you know, Oh, he wants to get WWE. And I was like, okay, I hear that a lot. And most of them are like, it's a celebrity that says, I want to be in the WWE and they come in and they, they fall down in the ring for the first time and they hit the ropes twice. And they're like, yeah, never mind, This hurts, <laughs> you know? Um, 
Logan was different. And when I say dedicated again, all you have to do is look at the, the product that he puts out when he gets in the ring for us. He's gifted athletically. He's gifted verbally. He's gifted. He's intelligent. He wants to do this at the highest level. Th- those are the kind of people that, um, you know, you want to work with and you want to make, you, you want to work hard to make their, their vision and their dream become true. And, and no different than the college kid that has a dream of making it in this. And if he's dedicated and works his ass off or her ass off and, um, you, you, you want to work hard to get them if they can to that next level and to succeed. It's the same with some of these celebs. Um, same with Snoop, you know, and, and the, the, the unbelievable thing about Snoop is the doing the people's elbow at WrestleMania. We, you know, we had talked to him about doing it and working on it and all that stuff. And then, you know, Shane gets in there and, and unfortunately, right. What we do is it's tough business blows his knee up first, like minute. And, and, uh, we have to like call an audible and Snoop just gets right in there and punches Miz in the face and goes right into people's elbow. Like you never <laughs> missed a beat and just, what a pro, you know, I can't say enough about him. What a pro. And, and he was like a little kid, you know, he was like, it's, it's when you can go back and do stuff that you admired when you were young and, and it's, it's, um, you have the opportunity to do that. And, and in front of 80,000 people, it's just, uh, it's awesome. So I, I was so happy for him. And so, you know, so proud of him and, you know, his experience and what he, what he got to do that night. Um, it, it was super cool. And to see those people like that as successful as they are, want to be in our business, want to engage with what we do and the respect that they show to what we do and our, our fans and our talent. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, it is. And I, you know, obviously being able to accept the warrior award back in 2017, I played in front of thousands of people in the college football stadium but being on stage at wrestlemania and when your name is called hearing that pop it's like a little kid i mean i remember wrestling my yeah. bear in my room and just to hear that like everyone cheering for you it's just it's a real feeling that you know first yeah. i'm thankful for that but just yes it's like it doesn't matter what level you are in your business just that moment is it's just incredible and i would be you know the, from- the the difference between wwe and any other thing it's like when 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 you said you you played in front of thousands of tens of thousands of people in college football but you're trying to tune it out right to play the game um with what we do you're trying to let all that in cuz that's the focus is their reaction um it's a different you know what you're doing is is a different uh different opportunity to hear that and to feel it. And when, when you do, when you let them in and you really feel it and, and there's, there's no rush like it, nothing. There really is. And that's so I want to go into a little bit about your time in the ring, because we have to touch on this, you know, some of the greatest moments that you think the comeback at Madison square garden, what would you like being the face or being healed? What did you like doing more? What WrestleMania stuck out to you? Like I, I want to dive into but we'll start sure. with the face or heel. Like, what role did you yeah. like playing more? I always, than that? I always enjoyed being the bad guy. Ah. You know, I, I always, yeah, just uh, it's more fun. You know, you you get to do all the all the crazy stuff. You get to say the crazy stuff. You get to, you know, and and you know if you're really good at it, you know when when the when the good guy is making that comeback and having those moments you're the one causing it in a way and and the excitement about you getting your ass kicked is is sort of amplified because of you right if you do your job well so i always enjoyed being the bad guy and and um you know there there was a moment when we were in 
NDX with uh, Road Dog and Billy, and, and that was doing incredible business. And I had gone to Vince and said, I, I want to get out of this, and I want to, you know, I want to be the heel here. I want to be the guy heel. And and I could see like Austin was the big baby face. Rock was going to be the the next big baby face. But there was nobody that was set in that sort of who's the Darth Vader here to those guys. And, and I think I can fulfill that role and I want a shot at it and I want to get out of this. And everybody thought I was insane. You know, why would you stop the DX thing? It's so big. You guys are doing so much merch and you can run with it for a long time. But it wasn't what I wanted. You know, I wanted to go in a different direction. So to me, being that bad guy, um, creating those moments, you know, th- that's where it was at. And what do you, I guess, where do you come up with these iconic moments where you come out to the ring, obviously standing up and you spit the water into the crowd, the pedigree, like how is that all created? And then I guess is it just to see how their fans react to it and then yeah. you go from there, the finishing moves, like, where does that all come from? Yeah, you know, it's. I think it's creatively being open and then creatively being open to to the response. You know, um, the the pedigree was just something that I had actually when I was just starting to train to be in 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 the business. Um, Kowalski used to show guys this thing where you would do almost a similar setup, but he would jump. He wouldn't land on his knees. He would just jump up and down and kind of bounce the guy out from his knees. And uh, I remember sitting there in, in the camp one day watching him do it. And I was thinking, like, man, if he dropped to his knees, that's almost like a pile driver um, face first. And I was like, that'd be pretty cool. And I, so I just started working on it then. Um, and then when I went to WCW, um, they had me doing something a little bit differently. And then I and, and then it morphed into the – I started doing the pedigree. I, you know, they came to me one day and I was like, I have this other thing I do. And they were like, let's see it. And they were like, oh, that's cool. Then I came to WWF at the time and uh they uh, ironically they they wanted me to use the the at the time was the diamond cutter uh, which is the RKO and um you know I just never felt comfortable with it and and at the time it was a new move guys weren't doing it a lot so guys weren't used to taking it and some guys would take it good and some guys wouldn't and I probably wasn't doing it the best and uh I I went to them one day one of my my agent one day and I said yeah hey, I just don't feel like that's working the best, you know, I have this other thing that I used to do that I, and I did it and they were like, I've never seen that before. That's great. You should do that. So that's what I started doing. And then Michael Hayes named it the pedigree. Um, uh, so, you know, but, but it's being open. I could, I could feel like, Oh, if I do that, if I would do it like in a match at a live event, non-televised live event, people would react to the move. So I could tell like, okay, that's probably a better fit for me. You know, nicknames and catchphrases, um, you know, when it came like calling myself the game, I just said it in a promo one time. I, I was in a promo. I was in a backstage interview with Jim Ross, and I said, uh, you know, he was interviewing me, and I said, you know, I was I was tired of getting passed over. You know, people talk about being the student of the game. Well, I am the effing game, and uh, it caught on. And I, I remember the the following week, I walked out at TV, and there were signs, a bunch of signs all over, the, and I was a bad guy bunch of signs all over the place saying triple H is the game. And, uh, I was like, Oh, I, I just remember walking out on the stage and seeing the signs and thinking like, I'm running with this game thing. Like this is like, they, they, they bid on that. So I ran with that. Um, King of Kings, I said in a promo one time, cause there were multiple champions and everybody was talking about 
you know, who the bigger champion was. And I was like, there was no bigger measuring stick in this business. I'm the champion of champions. I'm the this, I'm the king of kings, right? And and next week, same thing, king of kings signs. So I, I ran with that one. Um, yeah, it's it's being open, I guess, to, to, to the things that work. You know, I, I, I've watched other guys do the same thing over time, you know, rock with different moves or the, even the people's elbow, right? Like of almost starting out as, as in a humorous role and the, but it was getting such a big reaction that he would have been crazy not to run with it. You know, um, guy, guy, the, the, the talent that are the best, I think are, are wide open and never close themselves off. It's, it's something that's difficult in life as you become more successful is not to get caught in the, this is what I do now. It's to, to always say, okay, this is what I do, but I'm open to there being something new there. And if something new, you do something new and it clicks to going like, oh, I'm going to do that. But you also have to be honest in the same vein. And I think this goes for life is to look at the things that you do that aren't working, you know, and, and then say to yourself, like, why did I do that? Like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's something that I do all the time and it never works and it's not successful and I don't do it well. Why do I do it all the time? It's not getting me anywhere. I've got to change that, you know, and um, Vince taught me something a long time ago, uh, which I, I always try to keep in mind. He, he would always say, approach everything like it's first day on the job, you know, and, and it's an interesting philosophy, right? Of like people come in when, and if you're in an office environment, people come in from outside, you hire them in or whatever. And they come in and they're like, Hey question, why do you, why do you guys do this? Right. And you're like, uh, I, I don't know. That's just that's what we do. I thought so how we've always done it. And they're like, it just seems inefficient. And you're like, yeah, it is. But that's just how we do it, right? If you approach it as the guy first day on the job did, you say to yourself, well, that doesn't make sense why we do it. It's tough to do. But if you can do it, you always stay in front of yourself and the things that work in your life and the things that don't work in your life and, and being honest with yourself on how how to progress you know, and, and not just get yourself into a rut of doing things just to do them, you know? Well, yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing every comment. I'm not going to lie. This is the shit I love. I love this type of, like, <laughs> the behind-the-scenes stuff. And I'm not going to lie. I did try to do the pedigree to one of my college roommates, Devin Watkins, and I didn't keep my head up, and my face went <laughs> forward and bashed the back of his back. And, yeah, it wasn't fun, but that's the dumb stuff we used to do in college. But yeah, yeah it's, it's it's the cool stuff like this I love to hear. And I want to just transition to one last question. You know, I want to sure. thank our sponsors there, the, teacher, the New Jersey Teachers Insurance Plan. And um, they sponsor this podcast. And educators, a lot of times they get, you know, a bad rap and people always are going in on educators and things like that. And I always like to say, without teachers, we really are nothing. We learn from a lot of people, but teachers are the ones that educate us. Is there someone that really stuck out to you growing up that that you really learned a lot from that you can maybe reflect on who maybe molded you in a way that you know just made you into the person that you are today man there's so many of them you know i i always think back to to arnold schwarzenegger saying that there's nobody that's you know people look at arnold they say oh he came from a a poor place in austria built his body up through hard work and then you know moved to america and bodybuilding and then movies and then politics and all these things that he did and you know they, they look at Arnold like he came from nothing he's a self-made man and he always says I'm, I'm the furthest thing from a self-made man right so many people along the way contributed to that I'm the same you know same way for me um, nobody is self-made 
you know, you work hard, you do all the things, but, but so many people teach you along the way and they don't have to be called a teacher or a coach. They have to be people that are open to you and, and interested in your success or helping, you know, so there's been so many from, you know, and even if just, just talking about my career, um, you know, first and foremost, my parents, right? Like from a worth work ethic standpoint, I learned that from them, right? They were the people that they worked tirelessly for stuff. When, when I was a kid, they were the parents that brought me to every game and then worked the concession stand and helped pick up after and did all the other stuff. They didn't need to, they didn't, but it's just who they are. If, if there's something that they can pitch in and help at, they just do. Right. I learned work ethic from them. You know, um, my sister's a teacher and, um, an educator and, and still to this day, you know, she's, she's, was, a you know, her husband died at a fairly young age and, and she's been a single parent for a long time on a teacher's salary. That is not easy. And, um, she's very proud and didn't want a lot of help and, you know, wanted to do it on her own. And, and I respect that, but she never really faltered from that. Right. She, there's many times she could have probably left and gotten a job that would have paid her much more money and been better for her or whatever financially, but it wouldn't have been, um, wouldn't have been as fulfilling. It, it takes a special person to teach and to, to pass on that, that, um, that, that knowledge to others, you know, um, God, I mean, it, you know, I, I could go on forever. My first training partner, right. Uh, Brian Zagaritas to Kowalski when I was first learning training, who at the time I didn't realize was training me really. It was just mostly hitting me in the head with phone books and shit like that, <laughs> t- telling us we were terrible and, you know, yelling at us. But the, but the years later, I still repeat the lessons that he taught me to this day. I didn't, didn't know what they were at the time. I had to figure them out. But now I look back and I go, well, that's what he was trying to tell me, you know, and, and um, to the people that you meet along the way, whether it be Terry Taylor and WCW helping me get to another level or, or um, William Regal, you know, who I met at a very young age and, and we spent a lot of time together and he would help me all the time, you know, um, sometimes even probably when he didn't know who he was to Sean and Kevin and kid and, and Scott Hall and, and that guys that were right around me of just passing on that knowledge. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a never ending list of people. And if you're wise, you pick up, I think, a smart person or the people that are successful in life pick up things from everybody along the way. Everybody that they meet is a lesson of what to do, what not to do. Um, you know, um, you, you just, there's, there's no, there's no to me greater. I think gift that you can give somebody is helping spread that knowledge to them, but no, also no, like it's what you're supposed to do. Right? Like you, people help you get to a place you, they help you learn things. And then it's, it's imperative on you to pass that on. I, I, I work in an incredible business. I think it's the greatest entertainment vehicle in the world, WWE. Um, but it's imperative on me. I've thought this my whole career. If I learn something is imperative on me to pass it on to somebody else too, and let them learn it. What they do with it is up to them, but to, for them to learn it and have it and, and grow with it so that this business is here, not only for, for me, but for the next generation and the generation after that, long after I'm gone, 
hopefully people still be doing this successfully as possible. And, and that's how you, you create that. You, you pass it on to that next generation. And, and those that sort of play in the game and revel in the glory of it and just go away afterwards, I feel like they're missing out on not only what they should be doing is passing it on to others, but they miss out on the, the joy that they can give to themselves in doing that and, and the value that they can have and, and that feeling of passing that on to others. To teacher, being a teacher or a coach or those things can be one of the most rewarding things in the world. If, but you have to be open to doing it. And, and uh, so I always look at uh, people that are in that role and uh, my hat's off to them because what they do without it, we don't carry on, right? Absolutely. That's the next generation. Absolutely. So thank you again, Paul, for your time and coming on a couple of Believe podcast and just sharing your story, your knowledge, your entertainment. And I'll always call you the game, the heel, the man. So thank you for being a friend. And thank you for wrapping up our first season. Uh, You're truly the man. Pleasure's mine, man. Thank you for what you do. And, and uh, again, thank you for, for spreading the positivity that you put out there. It's, it's very meaningful to the world. And, uh, and if there's ever anything I can do for you guys or however I can help, just let me know. You already know, my brother. Thank you. Thank you for listening to a Cup of Believe podcast. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and all audio platforms.